0: Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to the SG Engage podcast. This is Rachel Hutchison, and I have the honor and pleasure of leading global social responsibility at Blackbaud. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Kendra Fogarty, who is the manager of corporate social responsibility for U.S. Cellular. Welcome to the show, Kendra.
1: Rachel, thank you so much for inviting me to join you in conversation today. I'm happy to be here. I am delighted to have you here
0: with me. So we have launched something that we are calling the CSR Book Club, where occasionally uh, I get together with people like you and we talk about what we're reading and and what it makes us think about. And we put it in context of the work that, that you and I do every day. So we wanted to do that with you today. Although as we did in our first episode with Chris Jarvis, um, we're going to break the rules a little bit because <laughs> I as, as our viewing, listening audience, I should say, is going to find out we actually didn't pick a book. Uh, we picked something else, but uh, we are going to stay true to our promise toward the end and actually talk about other things that we are reading, which do include books. Yes. So maybe we should have said it's like this is about the written word or something, but we keep breaking our own rules. So I wanted to start before we dove into the written word piece that you want to lift up today and just ask you to tell
1: us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Sure. I'm Kendra Fogarty, as you mentioned, and I do corporate social responsibility work for U.S. Cellular. We're the fourth largest telecom in the US and we focus our philanthropic investments and our social impact work on addressing gaps in STEM education. It's our passion to connect tomorrow's innovators with resources they need today to help shape their future opportunities. So when you and I first met, I, of course, to ask
0: you what what I ask just about everybody, kind of, how did you get to where you are today? I know that in my own journey, uh, people often ask that, like, tell tell me your journey. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me when I was on the journey. But now that I look back, I'm like, okay, it kind of makes sense where I am now. And you have some really interesting things that you have
1: done that have led you to the point where you are today. So can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And you're right. My career has been quite an adventure. And only in hindsight can I stitch it together in a in a narrative that is really important to me. Uh, I've always focused in and around social impact since before we generally had that vocabulary to talk about that kind of work. I was a young girl who loved engaging with the world around her. And I always knew I would find some career path that helped me add value and give back. So I started that as a prosecutor with the Illinois Attorney General's Office enforcing environmental laws on behalf of the people of the state of Illinois. And litigation was rewarding and really tough and important work. But I came to realize after a number of years that to a certain extent, we were always fighting about damage that had been done and very little we did would prevent anything from happening. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to shift my focus to a more proactive and policy type approach. I had two significant roles in that area. The first was with a $100 million trust that focused on regional action to enhance the economic and environmental viability, specifically in the Great Lakes region. And the second was very similar, but it was interesting. It was with the Government of Canada. I worked for their Department of Foreign Affairs on the international policy aspects related to environmental and economic regional issues. But the decision was made to sunset the program that I ran for Canada And I considered how I could continue to have even greater influence. And I turned my focus really to look at corporate social responsibility and social impact work in the more evolvingly traditional sense. Mm -hmm. So I ran a private foundation for a little while and then a corporate foundation. And Mm -hmm. seven years ago, I came to US Cellular to help harness their resources and engage in deep and meaningful ways with communities where we live and work. Yeah, that's fascinating.
0: I'm particularly fascinated by two things there. One is the environmental policy and policy is such a huge, uh, important driver in actually make making positive change in the world. Uh, And the second is that you worked for Canada in, in their international work, which most people wouldn't think of as being like you were working on issues that were U.S. related issues for Canada which is, is so interesting. And, and then mm-hmm. of course, the third thing that fascinates me and I talk about a lot is that there's so many terms that are used now to describe what you and I do. And most of them didn't exist yes. when you and I began doing this. So you have those moments occasionally where it's like, Oh, okay. That's what they call what I'm doing. Dumb.
1: Yes, I have those moments regularly and someone's yeah. always having some new vocabulary. So I, I yeah, try to keep up, but there's a few I, I've missed. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's funny. Okay. So this is the point in the program where I would have asked you, so what book have you read recently that you really want to talk about? And when I asked you that question, you actually, you did, we did talk about books, mm-hmm. but you also said something else. So what is the resource that you want to talk about today?
1: Sure. The one that I mentioned to you, and that I think is really important for people in our field, whatever we want to call our field, uh, is the Edelman Trust Barometer. It's an annual global survey that explores, quite simply, just trust and credibility of various institutions around the globe. Not the specific institutions themselves, but the categories. The survey operates from the premise, essentially, that trust is the ultimate currency. And for a company, which I represent and work for, Consumer and marketplace trust is everything. It's a a hedge against disruption from competition. It's a tool to stand out in the market, which is increasingly crowded with everyone yelling at you. And financially, there are studies that show that it's a solid path to growth for a company. So this survey crosses 30 countries, I think, and tens of thousands of responses. So it's a pretty comprehensive global look. And I like it. I've used it the last several years. I kind of, I get it when it comes out early in Q1. And, um, I keep referring to it throughout the years because it helps me understand a larger landscape for the work we do and the various audiences that we want to know about our work and the communities we want to impact with our work helps me know where they are and what's on their minds.
0: Yeah. It's been around for quite a while. And I know like you early in the year, it comes out and I'm always fascinated to, to see what the results are. And, and, you yeah. know, it talks about trust in companies, it talks about trust in government, it talks about mm-hmm. trust in nonprofits. And, mm-hmm. and it has been really interesting particularly over the past couple of years to see even just who people are looking to, to actually be voices in leadership and how that shifts over time. So yeah. is there, is there something particular that, that you use this for or, why you think it's so vital? Or do you want to shift to headlines? Because I want, I want to hear what you think the top most important things are that are in this study.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, again, looking through the lens of the work that I do, and the, and the context in which I work, there were the three biggest takeaways for me this year. And, and I should back up and say that every year, a theme sort of emerges. And this year, the theme that emerged in 2022 was the cycle of distrust which is really unfortunate, but it's a reality that we all need to understand that we're operating inside of. According to the report, distrust is now society's default emotion and that it's inhibiting constructive, you know, compromises and discussions and even discourse.
0: So is that what I mean by the cycle of distrust? Is there a way to define that?
1: Um, they, they don't dig into it in terms of, I'm not aware that they really defined the cycle itself, Mm -hmm. but it gets at all of the information that we're being fed, whether we seek it out or whether we're passively receiving the information across all the platforms you can imagine. So one of the, one of the pieces of that, which was one of my big takeaways, is that not the cycle necessarily, but the circle of trust is and distrust, it's shifted pretty significantly in recent years. It's now, trust is now very local. People feel the most connected and the most trusting of coworkers and neighbors, and the least connected to people from other countries or even other states, provinces, and regions, which are people you may share more in common with. But if they're not local to you, we're not feeling good about having them in our circles of trust. Hmm. And I think that's part of how those circles and cycles get created. So that was one big takeaway. Another one was, and this may shock some people this year, business more than government or media is the most trusted institution. And in fact, business was more trusted than nonprofits and NGOs.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. It makes me reflect on, um, I I had a discussion with someone, and I'm forgetting her name at the moment, but who studies belonging and in the workplace and belonging in general. And she did a study that showed within the past year or so that people today have fewer close friends than they've ever had before, just Mm -hmm. in general. And this mm-hmm. kind of you know brings up the Robert Putnam bowling alone. We're not sitting on our front mm-hmm. porches talking to our neighbors. We're inside with our air conditioning on. We're not jo- joining civic groups, etc. And so now more than ever, people just have fewer close friends. So what happens is they're actually looking to their employers mm-hmm. to fill that belonging gap that yes. they want to feel connected. They want to feel advised and led and, and empowered and, and connected to something. And they're looking to the people and the organizations they work for to fill that gap, which is, that's a lot for a company yeah. to do, particularly when you're also in this world where most of us are working, many of us are working, you know, from a computer at home. So there's like this disconnection in society yes. that's yep. creating the need for a deeper connection within yeah company i and wonder then, that that feels like that that trust level has to be a part of that they're trusting their companies to be that um incredibly important source for them
1: yes and if you know and we can get more into this a little bit later but part of my portfolio is that engagement piece that volunteerism piece and knowing this context and this craving and desire that we have to engage even more and more deeply with our colleagues, that's one way that we can really help foster and grow that circle of trust within our own companies, our own teams. So the,
0: the, the local thing is interesting too. So I've been known to say over the last year, I've been thinking about this a lot, that here we have this pandemic that taught us that something that happens around the world, like somewhere across the world, something happens. And we know that we are globally connected because that thing affected us in our neighborhood, you know, in and, and our community. So we're both global and hyperlocal and supply chain issues, things that all of a sudden you, nice. you couldn't get, you're like, wait a minute, I am connected to this. I can't just live in my own little bubble and say, that's about someone across the world. That's not about me. Yes. Um, so we're connected, but we still, this study says that we still really, really want to hear from and see the people who are most directly around us and in front
1: of us. We do. And that's, You know, again, as it feeds into how I think about the portfolio within the company, we make sure our community work is local and hyperlocal. Our communities want to see us showing up for them. It's nice that we might show up other places, but we're not going to overlook them personally in their communities. So it helps foster a lot of how we think about impact as well. They want us to do things for them locally. That's how they trust us. As a community partner,
0: so I talk about this um, when I talk about Blackboard's um, portfolio. I use that word a lot of things mm-hmm. that we do with our people. I call it this mixed portfolio of offerings because some of the things we are doing, we want to do to connect people to each other mm-hmm. under the umbrella of the brand that we're all one connected family. And then other things are things that are really about just empowering each individual to have choice wherever they are, wherever they live, where, whatever they're interested in, whatever their circumstances are. And that gets harder when you're remote and where everybody is, is can be vastly different. So do you have insights or thoughts about how people like us can go about doing that?
1: I think a huge part of it is, and this gets into other things I've read and other resources I have, but it's the importance of asking questions and getting curious getting really comfortable with talking to the people that we want to impact and asking them questions and being open to their answers instead of, and this gets into some of the book that we'll talk about. I think often we're guilty of, um, and now I'm going to date myself, but you know, mighty mouse here, I come to save the day. Uh We're not asking, does what I have to offer you help you? Is this the best way to do this for you in your community? And we need to ask the questions and then we need to sit and let them answer. So it's that engagement piece. Again, our our associates are one of the best sources of that for us. They're on the ground in the communities. we are I mean, we're a retail company. We have stores in our communities. So people know us and see us and engage with us on a very human level. And we ask them, what is going on in your community? What do you need from us? What would help? And sometimes we we can't do what it is they would like, but we can find the path forward that makes the most sense for them, but still meets the overall corporate strategy. Yeah, for
0: sure. And and one of our versions of doing that is that that focus on choice, so that if you are living in a city or community where you're the only person in the company who lives there, you have the choice and empower to engage based on what motivates you, what your passion yeah. is. Um, so you also shared with me some interesting stats that came from the Edelman study about what, how trust shows up mm-hmm. in how people behave or act. And many of those people are employees at companies like ours. So do you yes. want to share a few
1: of those? Sure. So, you know, the two of the bigger takeaways that I talked about were that business was the most trusted institution and that our circles of trust are now pretty local. But The stats show that we're really backing up those feelings and beliefs with actions and decision-making. So close to 60% of us as consumers will buy or advocate for brands based on our beliefs and values. And another 60% will look for a brand's beliefs and values when choosing to work. And in a marketplace that is so topsy-turvy with the great resignation and so many people leaving and flowing and coming and going, how does an employer stand out? by leaning into their beliefs and values, because that creates a circle of trust for potential employees that you wanna attract. It also helps you retain your existing talent when they feel good that their beliefs and values are aligned with your companies. 64% of us will invest based on our beliefs and values. And this one is, the mother of all stats, which is close to 90% of institutional investors, those investors that invest hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in the marketplace. They will scrutinize a company's environmental, social and governance policies, which are a reflection of the company's beliefs and values. They will scrutinize those as closely as more traditional reports, like operational and financial considerations.
0: Yeah. Those are interesting. And I know some of them absolutely apply to me. I know I have, I have two kids who are in their twenties and I'm absolutely seeing some of those, um, uh, be big factors in career choices. They make decisions about the organizations that they want to work for, um, decisions on how they purchase. And even as they start to think about, you know, 401k or investment, you know, the, how important it is, is for them to, um, to make decisions that are aligned with who they are as people and what they value. So let's shift and talk about books because we did promise that we were going to we talk did. a little bit about books and I did ask you uh, about a book, and you started with an answer. And I can't talk about any book, book uh, CSR books, without, of course, mentioning again. Listening audience will have heard this probably six times before. But I think anybody who's interested in social responsibility should read Judy Samuelson's Six New Rules of Business. She leads mm-hmm. the Business and Society segment of the Aspen Institute, and I think what she's done in that book is really. Um, put down on paper, the shift that's been happening over the last, at least 15 years in business, definitely during my career of the old rules of business to the new rules of business and the new rules of business have a lot to do with trust and relationship and community and people and very, very different set. So, so let me pose the question to you. What are you reading or what would you recommend people read who think about the things that we think about every day?
1: So I just, and and since we've spoken, I've now finished, uh, I just finished a book called A Path Appears. It was published in 2015, um, and it's the same authors, I believe, as Half the Sky, who were Pulitzer Pulitzer award-winning journalists. And it really focuses on the end results of altruism and some of the pitfalls that I think a lot of us are aware of. I also, I will tell you, in preparing for our talk today. I was doing some Googling and I discovered that PBS released a three-part documentary series based on the book. So I haven't seen it yet, but um, they actually get some people on the ground and go to some of these communities and actually explore these projects firsthand. So I'm, I'm extremely excited to watch that. But, you know, some takeaways from the book that are important to me is that the book doesn't sugarcoat some of the global problems. But it does drive home a hopeful message and an important message about how small efforts and individuals can truly make impactful change. I think sometimes the problems seem so overwhelming and so complicated that we're just not sure we can move the needle. And this is a good reminder that any one of us truly can move the needle, whether it's harnessing the resources of my company or whether it's me pursuing my passion to make a change with a particular cause. So that was a big one. And somewhat of what we just talked about with the, the mighty mouse reference, it's also a cautionary tale about how the collective, we sometimes show up to save the day, but our solutions are not considering a local landscape and culture and resources. And one specific example from the book, I was devastated because I have contributed greatly to these projects, but I was devastated to learn how many wells, fresh, clean, safe drinking water wells across the globe have been built. And within a year of construction, they fail and are essentially abandoned by the communities. And sometimes something as simple as training someone local to make repairs or making sure they have access to some of the simple parts that they can't just go to Home Depot or Amazon and pick up and a little bit of operational funding to keep it going can make all the difference, but a lot of us just go focus on drilling the well and assume it's all going to take care of itself. And that's where getting curious and having conversations with communities to really understand and making them partners on projects, not just recipients can That's where the projects really make differences that are orders of magnitude in communities and countries.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those unintended consequences of philanthropy. And Uh that is a theme that I think about a lot. You know, no one goes out to do something intentionally in the world of social good to do harm. Yeah. they're doing it to, from a, a very good place and to and to do good and to help people but sometimes it doesn't help people and one of the as you've noted very eloquently one of the ways to do that is to actually ask the people who are involved what is sustainable what is doable what happens when we leave and this breaks um mm-hmm. is this something that you can sustain over time so um I've read a couple, I read all the time, but and I've read a couple of books um, recently that are they're kind of across the map and different things. I read a lot of fiction, but mm-hmm. in the nonfiction category, Net Positive, which came out, I think, last year by Pe- uh, Paul Pullman, is wonderful. It's Net Positive How Courageous Companies Thrive by Giving More Than They Take. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he's the leader at Unilever, who really changed a lot about Unilever and really brilliant. Yeah. A great book. Also, Tomorrow's Capitalist, um, My Search for the Soul of Business by Alan Murray at Fortune. You know, really, when I was reading, I felt like, yes, you've captured a lot of the things that I've seen and experienced and that I feel have shifted in the business world.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And then a, a rather different one, but I think is still really important, particularly since we're talking about trust. Um, Atlas of the Heart, the new Brene Brown yes. book, Atlas of the Heart, mapping meaningful Co- connection and the language of human experience. It's almost like a reference book, you know, how it. she takes different emotions and puts them into categories and, you know, the worry versus anxiety and what is one versus the other. And I feel like it's that mm-hmm. kind of book that you can pull out and dip into when you're struggling with something and trying to think more clearly about it. But Uh, that, that book I think is, is great really for any, really for any person.
1: Um, but any leader in particular, um, I I'm in the midst of it right now. I just got through the section on the difference between jealousy and envy. And I I'll be honest, I've been using them wrong. I didn't really understand the distinction and how she spelled it out was, was really informative. I also, you know, for this type of work, her book called rising strong, which is, you know, when we do screw up, how do we get back off the mat? How do we take those lessons and improve the work that we do? Because we're not going to get everything right.
0: Yeah. And I like how she unpacks things in a very clear way. Like, there's this one example that she makes this like graphic, and it's like behind this anger might be. And there are all of these incredible things that could be behind you being upset or angry about something. And it makes you step back and say, well, wait a minute. Maybe it is that I'm feeling helpless. Maybe it's because I'm stressed. Maybe it's because. Um, that just hurt me, you know, maybe I'm confused or whatever it is. And it's like, Oh, I can isolate this versus just feeling a certain way. Yes. And as I isolate it, I can do something more positive about it.
1: Yes. Um, so that's a very different, different recommendation. It also, and, and I'm, I'm with you on that book and, and her work in general has very much influenced a lot of the work that I do, but the, the reminder too that feelings aren't facts. Feelings are reactions to specific stimuli that may be rooted in all of those things behind the squares that you were just talking about, but you can feel something and that doesn't make it true. And so to get curious and investigative about our own feelings and the feelings of others can help us get to, well, the heart of the matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then very randomly, I was in an independent bookstore that I absolutely love and, and visited mm-hmm. this weekend. And I always have to buy books when I'm there and <laughs> and do my part. And I, I bought a novel called trust oh, and yeah. interesting that we're talking about the trust barometer today is by Hernan Diaz. And it's, it's a story that's set within a business context. Okay. I haven't read it yet, but in the flap, it talks about how power often can manipulate facts
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's, it says that it is about foundational inequality and power. So mm. I'm really interested to see how this how novel, because I more wonderful things from novels yes. um, than fiction. You know, I, I remember reading Watership Town many, many years ago, and oh. I know there's lots of, you know, socialist ideas about water, Watership Town, but I actually found myself thinking about management a lot when I was reading it. And how Hazelrod, that great character, you know, leads everyone and manages everyone. Of course, everyone are all rabbits, but if you haven't read it, go read it. I've read
1: it. I love it. I still have my like junior high copy
0: of it somewhere. It's just funny to sometimes read things and think this is really an interesting metaphor or interesting way of thinking about something very different than what you thought you were thinking about when you were reading a novel about rabbits. Yeah,
1: I I do the same thing with um, The Little Prince. I reread that almost every year and it reminds me to stay humble and curious and ask questions. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So any parting notes you want to share or a resource you want to leave us with or a place you would point people to go um, if they Um, want to learn more about what your company's doing or what you're thinking about?
1: Sure, Uh, if you wanna learn more about social impact and corporate social responsibility at US Cellular, you can go to uscellular.com and look in our newsroom. We have tons of information there. I'll give one plug to a part of our program called the After School Access Project, where nonprofits, you have to be a 501c3 and you have to be in our service area, but we will give you free hotspots and wireless service to help get kids connected and stay connected to their education. In this time when so many of us are working remote or schooling remote still on occasion, that excludes a lot of kids that don't have access to some of the tools and resources. So we want to help, again, give them the tools and resources they need today to help them change the world tomorrow. So if you look for After School Access Project on the site and you're a nonprofit, you can apply for free free wireless hotspots and service. That is wonderful.
0: Thank you for sharing and, and thank you for that work. So thank you, Kendra, for joining us today. Um, I, I think we've left our listening audience with some interesting things to read that are all sorts of different categories of, of, of written word, not just, not just books. So um, it's been great having you. Thank you. This has been a blast. A time flew. It does. It always flies. We could just keep talking forever. So to the SG Engage listening audience, I want to thank you for joining in for another podcast episode. I encourage you to listen to other episodes wherever you consume your podcasts. And until then, this is Rachel Hutchison signing off.